You're listening to Packers Talk Network. PackersTalk.com Do you want to experience the thrill of a Packers game at Lambeau Field? If so, be sure to get your guaranteed authentic tickets from theticketking.com, a longtime trusted source and local Green Bay business. Just go to PackersTalk.com slash tickets for more information and ticket links. That's PackersTalk.com slash tickets. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm your host, Gil Martin. My co-host is my good friend, Sean Tian. In addition to this show, I host Locked On NHL, and Sean was a TV sportscaster in Minnesota. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Sean, big news earlier this week, the Green Bay Packers have hired... Joe Barry's replacement at defensive coordinator, and I'm just sort of wondering what your initial thoughts are about Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley, man, uh, this came out of absolutely nowhere. There were a lot of reports that the Packers were interviewing guys like Christian Parker from Denver, who previously coached on LaFleur's staff early on in his time in Green Bay, and uh, Denard Wilson from Baltimore. Supposedly he interviewed Wink Martindale, uh, veteran defensive coordinator. And then everyone gets that push notification on online or on their phone saying they hire Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley. I was surprised. I think everyone, everyone who covers the Packers was surprised, Gil. Yeah, I, I was surprised as well. You didn't hear his name being bandied about, not just with the Packers, but really you know, any team that was looking for a D.C., you didn't hear, oh, yeah, one of the candidates is Jeff Halfley. Yeah. But then you go into his background a little bit, and it does make a certain amount of sense. Yes, it really does. He, uh, college football head coach, though, and uh, I'm just going off of ESPN's Pete Thamel, the report he had. Halfley's reasons for taking the job, they're rooted in both the overall state of college football and the opportunity to work for one of the NFL's most respected franchises. And Thamel further said a source had told him that uh, Halfley wants to go coach football again in a league that is all about football. College coaching has become fundraising, NIL, and recruiting your own team in transfers. There's no time to coach football anymore. So from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense why Halfley made this jump. And we may see this a little more. Uh, before his time at Boston College, he was the defensive coordinator for the Ohio State University for the Buckeyes. And one year he was there, the Buckeyes, the year before, were what, ranked 72nd nationally in total defense? The year he was there, they were ranked first overall. It helped that he had Chase Young, who was the number two overall pick in the draft that following year, and Jeff Okuda, who was the number three overall pick in the draft that year before. But even before that, though, he was coaching DBs for the San Francisco 49ers. He was coaching DBs for the Cleveland Browns and coaching DBs for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So this guy, is he's in his mid-40s. He's a younger coach. He's around LaFleur's age. But a guy who seems like he's coming into his own and has risen through the coaching rankings at a very quick, fast pace, skill, and someone who's kind of a rising star in coaching. Yeah, and I like the fact that he has experience in both pro and college football. He, his background is as a defensive backs coach, and he rose yep. through the ranks there. He's been a defensive coordinator. He was a co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State, which is a little... Uh, yeah, and, and 
And, and I'll say with that, too, where it's like he was co-defensive coordinator with Greg Madison, who was a veteran. Ohio State's always kind of done that. They've had co-coordinators on offense and defense. It's just kind of the way it's gone. But I believe that was Jeff Halfley's defense. But I, uh, you, yeah, please continue, though, Gil. I'm sorry about that. No, no, it's, it's all good. I mean, he has head coaching experience. He's coached, you know, when you vary it, in, even in college, Ohio State is a place where you've got the top recruits in the country on your roster, and you take the field, and athletically, your team is 95% of the time, if not more, better than the opposition. Then he goes to Boston College as the head coach, where it's kind of the opposite. The athletes on the other side of the ball very often are going to be better than your athletes, and, you know, he gets them to, in four seasons, they're bowl eligible three times under his leadership, uh, but, you know, a very different way to come at a game where, as opposed to having the better athletes almost across the board, you've got to figure out how to make things work when you don't have the better athletes across the board. He's coached in the uh, NFL. He's been a part of very different defensive philosophies. He survived head coaching <laughs> changes at some of his stops along the way. I, I like the fact that he could play uh, you know, a press man or a, a more passive, you know, prevent the big play kind of a defense. He's played 3-4. He's played 4-3. Uh, I, I get the feeling, perhaps for the first time, that Matt LaFleur will have a little bit more to say philosophically about what kind of defense he wants implemented. And with Jeff Halfley, too, and obviously college Ohio State, yeah, they get the cream of the crop in recruiting every year. That that's a big thing, also. But you and, and I was thinking about that too, where it's like, yeah, he's got the he's got the top recruits, but why couldn't the the guy before when he before right. he got to Ohio State, why couldn't he do better than what Jeff Halfley did? And and then also when he was in San Francisco too, there's a sound clip of Richard Sherman praising him about how the guy prepares like nobody else. He makes things super easy. He's a very good teacher. He's a very good instructor. He's a student of the game. This is something that just, it just, the more I'm reading into this, this feels like a home run hire. It really does. And the way that he's going to prep guys and get guys ready to go. And he's going to, he's going to unleash this Packers defense. I feel like he's a way more aggressive coach than Joe Barry ever was. He's going to play a lot of press man coverage. He's got his quarters play a lot more press man coverage on the edges on the outside. Uh, it's very exciting to see that he could be very versatile with this defense. That's what it appears like. Uh, yeah, that Richard Sherman clip was really something though, because Richard Sherman, he he doesn't he won't sing your praises if you don't deserve it. That's no. just not that that's not how Richard Sherman is. That's not how he ever has been. He'll if anything he'll criticize a guy more than he'll praise a guy. So Absolutely. him, even though that clip is five years five six years old, that's still quite a bit coming from Richard Sherman, in my opinion. And he was what thirty nine, thirty eight when that clip, not yeah. Sherman, but Halfley. So yep. he's grown since then. And one other thing I loved when I was looking into his background, one of his specialties is teaching how to tackle. Yes. And that is something this Packers defense, I'm so tired of watching arms being waved in the general direction of a ball mm -hmm. carrier. And, you know, yeah. the quote that I found when I was doing the research, we don't just talk about running to the ball. To me, the most important thing about tackling is the approach. I think people spend way too much time just talking about the finish and driving your legs and wrapping up, but people put themselves in such bad positions where they're not even close to being in position to make the play. 
please help this team learn how to tackle better. Please. Yeah, and, and that would be that would be a huge bonus, Gil. And and the thing is too is there there was an old clip from when he was getting interviewed on Big Ten Network where he was running a practice at Ohio State and one of the thing it was a very short clip and obviously Big Ten Network was there quite a bit, but one of the clips they used was them going through pursuit drills and that's something that he that's very important. It's just knowing where your help is coming from. That that's a big thing in football. It's not just knowing how to tackle what if you can tackle one on one, that's huge. That you're gonna make a you're gonna have a job in the NFL as long as you want, as long as you make one on one tackles. But if you know where your help is, that is the definition of team defense. Just knowing where you're going to get help. And I, and I just want to touch on some more numbers from Halfley's lone year at Ohio State where he was a finalist for the Frank Broyles Award, his lone year with the Buckeyes. That's given to the nation's top assistant coach every year. Uh, and then he got the head coaching job at Boston College right after that because Boston College clearly saw how talented this guy was. Uh, in addition to having the number one total defense, though, the Buckeyes, they were fourth ranked in scoring defense, number one passing defense, number eight rushing defense. Defense was also number three in sacks, number one in red zone defense. Uh, he had Chase Young. He had Jeff Okuda. They were picks number two and number three in the 2020 draft the next season. He also coached future NFL first-round pick Damon Arnett, as well as L.A. Rams safety Jordan Fuller, Saints linebacker Pete Werner, Ravens linebacker Malik Harrison, Broncos linebacker Baron Browning, Jaguars defensive tackle Davon Hamilton, Patriots corner Sean Wade, Falcons defensive end Zach Harrison. There's a lot of guys. That's a lot of good talent that he was able to – he was only there for a year, so I don't know if he necessarily molded these guys, but he didn't make them look bad, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And, and oh, yeah, one other guy he coached uh, in college, uh, Isaiah McDuffie. Yeah, hey, a, a Packer who actually he exceeded my expectations this year as a fan yeah. where he, he was really, really good. And I think Isaiah McDuffie is probably going to be the happiest camper in that in that defensive room coming up this offseason, knowing that, hey, I know what this guy expects. I know what he runs. I know how to run it. I know how to play in this defense. Isaiah McDuffie may have a starting job uh, coming up pretty soon, Gil. Would not surprise me at all. I mean, to me, if I'm Brian Gutekunst, I move on from Devondre Campbell. I, yeah. uh, I, as much as I like Devondre Campbell, I think it would probably be financially the right move. I elevate Isaiah McDuffie to the starter next to Quay Walker, and then I draft another inside linebacker either on day two or day three. Yeah, and, and the the tough thing, I don't think Devondre Campbell's going anywhere, not necessarily because he's a locker room guy. It, it's the financials. Business-wise, it it's going to be hard to cut him because the Packers, I think it's about a $14 million cap hit, a dead cap hit, and they'd only save about $3 million against the cap if they cut Devondre Campbell. That could be a tricky situation. Uh, but Brian Gutekunst is a, he's a little more aggressive as a GM than Ted Thompson was. He's a little, and he may look at this as an opportunity where, hey, we got to get better and we, and Isaiah McDuffie may be better than Devondre Campbell right now. We don't know. I think from a business standpoint, that's the only reason I can see Devondre Campbell sticking around because it could be, could be difficult to, to cut that, you know, with, with so much dead cap being hit and not a lot of savings. On top of that, but yeah, Isaiah McDuffie's got to be thrilled, like I was saying. But uh, it's interesting to me, though, where I, I think a big concern with who the Packers are going to hire as the next defensive coordinator. People were worried it was going to be Brandon Staley because Matt Lafleur is ties to Brandon Staley, and and people were worried Matt Lafleur was going to hire a buddy of his. He's done that so many times. He had familiarity with Joe Joe Barry, obviously, with his time at the Rams and everything. 
but this seems like this isn't really a nepotistic hire. There, there's some familiarity there, which is okay. It's if you're if you're thinking about hiring someone for your company or for your organization, don't you want to have some resources you can lead on and talk to about a guy? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and Jeff Halfley, he he coached under Robert Sala, Matt Lafleur's best friend in San Francisco. Uh, he he obviously coached under Kyle Shanahan, San Francisco too, and those guys had glowing reviews of Jeff Halfley. Where it, it's good, where it's like Lafleur has never actually coached at Jeff Halfley, but he reached out to his resources, his trusted confidants in the NFL to get further evaluation and further clarity on what to expect with a guy like Jeff Halfley. Yeah, and he and he also coached with his brother. Yeah, yeah, and he coached with Michael Floor too. Michael Floor, exactly. And, and he coached with Mike Pettin, and I don't know how much that had a factor with that too. Where he coached with Mike Pettin in Cleveland, he was in Tampa as well for a little bit. A lot of NFL experience, and and the thing is too, it's like Matt Lafleur with the Joe Barry situation last year. Matt Lafleur had to take over a lot. He couldn't really just focus on his offense. He had to focus more on the defense to help them figure their stuff out. Jeff Halfley being a head coach for four years at the college level, at the D1 level, at the Power 5 level, is going to be huge. He knows how to operate and run a team. He knows how to operate and run an organization. I feel like this is going to be something where Matt LaFleur can really focus most of his time in the offense, and he can just leave the keys to Jeff Halfley and let him operate the defense. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the opposite of what we saw toward the end of last season under Joe Barry after that terrible three-game stretch against, uh, you know, the, the Giants and the Panthers and the Bucks. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, you know, Matt LaFleur meets with Jeff Hafley. He says, this is what I want to play as far as defense goes. Now you go implement it. And, you know, you give him the keys and you let him drive the car. And, and we were talking, Gil, in previous episodes where we just want to see – we want to see where Joe Barry, I felt like for so long – had the keys to the Ferrari, and he left it covered up in the garage. And I feel like Jeff Halfley has got the keys now, and he's going to let it rip. I feel yeah. like he – this guy just – it just seems like, from all I've heard, he's aggressive. He's going He's going to be versatile with his attacks. It's not going to be the same basic stuff. He's going to He's going to be on top of his stuff. And he. it sounds like he's going to simplify stuff, too, and he's able to be a teacher where this is a young team. The Packers are all about drafting, developing, and retaining talent. They've always been that way since the Ron Wolf days. It's been like that for a long time. And I feel like Jeff Halfley's the perfect guy to teach them, develop them, and just get the best out of this team. I'm excited about this, Gil. I am excited about it, too. I mean, there is a certain sense of the unknown, but uh, I, I think that the credentials line up. I think the fact that we hired a coach and not a coaching tree uh, is important to me. And I get the feeling, and I think this is, again, you always, when you hire somebody new, you're always in coaching. You're always trying to do the opposite of what the last guy was in a lot of ways because you're correcting the problems that the last guy left you. Yeah. The fact that Jeff Hapley has played in so many defensive philosophies, 4-3, 3-4, pressure, blitz-heavy, coverage-heavy, I get the feeling he will be much better at making in-game adjustments than Joe Barry was, and that was a major problem for Joe Barry and the Packers' defense in recent years. Joe Barry's a likable guy, and, yes. and that's why he's been in the NFL for a long time. And even, you know, this is uh, – when he was the coordinator of the 0-16 Lions in, what, 2007, 
there was a question that Rob Parker, who is a national talking head now, when he was working in Detroit, and he asked Rod Marinelli, is it is he is Joe Barry the D coordinator only because he's your son-in-law, you know, or future right. son-in-law, which he is, and. But Joe Barry's a likable guy. I think he's a good coach, but he's not a good coordinator. And they needed a coordinator for this defense, someone who understands everything. And 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 another reason I like this hire, too, the big thing with Jeff Halfley is his emphasis is the defensive backs. We've talked about that, where the NFL is such a passing game. You win and lose with a passing game. If you don't have a quarterback, that's there's a reason why the quarterback's the most important position in the NFL. You need to have that guy. That guy wins you games. That guy will lose you games. And if you can defend the quarterback, if you understand what a quarterback and a passing offense is thinking, and you have someone who really understands the back end of the defense, that I feel like is the difference between a great defense and a good defense and a bad defense in the NFL. Jeff Halfley, I feel like is that it's the right guy. It's just it's the right fit. I just hope it works out, Gil. And I and I hope I'm not eating my words come come fall. Yeah, and I, look, I am optimistic as well. I think this is a solid hire. And the question now becomes, you know, what is he going to do with this roster? And, you know, you talked about he's a defensive backs guy. We have got some defensive backs who underachieved this year, whether it was due to injury or whether it was due to just the, the not being confident in the system or the system's flaws in and of themselves, the system not matching their talents. But I can tell you one thing. Uh, if you look at the roster right now, Carrington Valentine, Jair Alexander, Eric Stokes, all three of those guys are capable of, and maybe two of them certainly prefer playing press man, or at least playing press at the line of scrimmage, even if you then back up and play zone behind them. And I think we're going to see a lot more contact in the first five yards of pass patterns with the change in defensive coordinators. I feel like they're going to be ecstatic about this because essentially I, I feel like those guys want to have faith, want their coordinators to have faith in them and what they can do. And I feel like this is going to be perfect for them. And, and that's an excellent segue into the Packers defensive backs. Uh, just grading the Packers defensive backs this season, just a few facts and figures real quick. The pass defense in general this year, the pass defense allowed just under 270 yards a game during the regular season. That was ninth in the NFL uh, opponents completed 65.4% of their passes. That was 17th. But the defense only had seven interceptions this year. That was 31st in the NFL. And opposing quarterbacks ratings against the Packers are 94.7. That was 25th. Now we're just going to go one by one, Gil. And I just want to hear a grade what you think of each Packer DB who was on the field primarily on defense this year. We're not going to include some special teams guys who were labeled as defensive backs, but let's start with safety. Jonathan Owens, Mr. Simone Biles, his <laughs> first season in Green Bay, maybe his only season. He was only signed to a one-year deal, played every single game this year, 84 total tackles, had a sack, three pass deflections, a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. What was your overall grade of Jonathan Owens, Gil? Uh, I, I would give Owens a, a C plus or a B minus, something in that range. Uh, you know, better against the run than he was in coverage, which was his reputation. He's a, you know, pretty good tackler, does his thing in the box, but in coverage, he's a little bit suspect. So, uh, I think he's a serviceable, uh, either third safety or second, you know, kind of a safety if he has to start. But I don't think he's the kind of guy you feel comfortable as your top guy. 
And you took the words right out of my mouth. C-plus is the exact grade I have written. I'm not even kidding. So you, you, you nailed it. And uh, I, I agree with that, too. Much better against the run, which you need a thumper at that strong safety spot. And Jonathan Owens was not afraid to hit guys. But coverage, yeah, definitely an issue and definitely an area that the Packers, I feel like, will look to improve this offseason. Uh, next up, veteran safety Darnell Savage. He played in 10 games this year. 51 total tackles, had a pass deflection. He did have that pick six for a touchdown, the wild card round, wild card round win over Dallas. He battled injuries throughout the season. He was a former first-round pick, had some flashes early on, but has really struggled the last few years. Uh, Gil, what is your grade on Darnell Savage? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I'm going to stick with a, a B-minus for Darnell Savage. He is just – he always shows you flashes – and yet he has never been consistent enough, possibly with the exception of the last half, the second half of the 2020 campaign, where he and Adrian Amos were just maybe the best safety duo in the league at that point. Uh, but I think Darnell Savage, if the Packers bring him back, and I don't necessarily think that they will, but I think he could really benefit by the change in defensive coordinator if he gets that opportunity. How about you? Where did you put Savage? Yeah, and, and Savage I put at a C because I feel like he could make, and, and he has said this too, where he said, I feel like I can make every play out there, and I just got to realize I can't, and I got to live with that. I feel like he can, but he just doesn't. And, and there's just so many times where he can make such a big opportunity. There's so much talent. And you mentioned that 2020 season where him and Adrian Amos were at the top of their games. Savage to me, I, I was thinking, man, this, this seems like, this seems like Nick Collins 2.0 coming up. Like this really is exciting because the guy was a ball hawk. He was everywhere and there was just clearly so much talent there that it, it just seemed like things were clicking and things haven't clicked as much lately. Uh, I really do hope they bring him back on a one year deal or something. If they can get him for a cheap contract, bring him back in a new defense under Jeff Halfley where he only plays usually one safety high, and he play he likes to play guys close to the line of scrimmage. I feel like that's where Darnell Savage needs to feast. I, he needs to be close to the line of scrimmage, just running downhill. He's so fast. I think there's a lot of talent there. I just don't think he was utilized the right way the last few years. Oh, I, uh, I agree, and, and that's why out of the three safeties that are on this roster that are free agents, and all three of them played, I think only one of them at most comes back. Yeah, that's definitely an area of improvement that needs to needs to happen for sure for Brian Gutekinds and company. Uh, next up, veteran safety Rudy Ford played 13 games this year, 71 total tackles, six pass deflections, two interceptions. More of a special teams ace, but he did play a lot and in the starting group at safety. His season ended though in December because of a hamstring injury. Uh, Rudy Ford, I feel like, is someone who kind of played better. That we expected. I don't, I never expected this guy to be a starter. I expected this guy to be spe- specifically a special teamer, but when he started there, he wasn't a complete liability kill. What's your grade at Rudy Ford? Yeah, I, I go with a C plus for Rudy Ford. I, I, I think that, you know, he got the job done. He was nothing flashy or uh, spectacular, but he wasn't a big liability. Uh, you know, had those interceptions, which is more than you could say about most of the players on this team this year. And, I mean, I, I, I sort of look at him as a replacement level starter at this point. Yeah, and, and what, what's your grade then on him? C+. C plus. C plus, that's what I had too. I had C plus as well, where a guy where it's like you, you, you could only get so much out of him, but he played 
better for the role that he was asked to do. And and he he played a lot more than I think what was anticipated when he got to Green Bay. I wouldn't mind him coming back because, again, he's primarily a special teams guy. I wouldn't mind com- him coming back if he agrees to a, a team-friendly contract. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have rookie safety Anthony Johnson Jr. Played 11 games. He started four, 24 total tackles, three passes defended, and an interception. Rookie seventh-round pick at Iowa State. And, Gil, I think he played a little better than we expected, being a seventh-rounder. Yeah, I mean, first of all, making the team is better than a lot of seventh-rounders. Yes, it is. And, look, he had a great training camp. He stood out pretty quickly, uh, had a nice preseason as well. I like his potential. I mean, he didn't get a lot of playing time necessarily this year. But he showed that he belongs in the league and that he has a base that he can build from. My grades, when I'm looking at this, is sort of a combination of performance versus expectation. Yeah. So that a seventh-round pick rookie is, you know, if he does the same thing as a former first-round pick like Darnell Savage, I'm giving a higher grade to the rookie. So, yeah. in, in this case, uh, I will go with a B-minus for Anthony Johnson Jr. just because, again, uh, not a lot expected of him, and he exceeded those expectations. For for me, it's a C uh, because it's you know he was he he didn't get as much playing time as we had hoped to have seen him play, especially with like all the all the issues at safety throughout the year, and we knew that 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 was going to be a big problem going into the season too, and the injuries at safety with Rudy Ford and Darnell Savage battling injuries throughout the year too. Uh, but when he played, he you know there were times where he had some rookie moments, but yep. for the most part, he seemed to know what he was kind of doing and. I think there's a lot to build off of right there, and it, it's kind of a dream scenario for Brian Gutekinds where, hey, he got to assess him a little bit. He got to observe and and see what he has to build off of, and and that's that's exciting for a front office perspective where, hey, you know, you may have something here, and he's he's on a rookie deal, so he's going to be around for, for pennies for a little bit. So that's that's promising going forward. Uh, now going to the quarterback room, uh, Corey Ballantyne. He played 13 games this year, started six of them, 43 total tackles, seven pass deflections, and an interception. Uh, Gil, I think he played way above expectations. I, I think he was actually pretty serviceable. What is your grade on Corey Ballantyne? Uh, I, I would go with a B- minus for Corey Ballantyne. Yes, he exceeded expectations. He's not you know, anywhere close to a Pro Bowl type of player. But in many ways, over the course of the season, he was one of the better cover corners on this roster yeah. as far as statistics are concerned. Yep. Uh, you know, you look at, uh, pro football reference and they always try to, uh, calculate what percentage of, uh, passes opposing quarterbacks completed when they threw to a receiver covered by a player. And that's an inexact science, obviously, depending mm-hmm. on if it's man or zone. A lot yeah. of it is a judgment call. But as a metric, he did better than almost anybody on this roster in that category. So, uh, he was a very pleasant surprise in that respect. And you were just saying how you're going off of uh, expectation versus how they played and everything. Corey Valentine gets a B for me. He he was not – he didn't get burned. He didn't get grilled. He was – he held his own, man. Like, he was he, he was impressive to me where this is a guy who's bounced around the league quite a bit, and I think he's found a home in Green Bay because he really out – he really just played so well above expectations, in my opinion. I think there's something there with Corey Ballantyne. I, I who like knows? It. 
I, I really do too. I, I don't know. I feel like the Packers are going to invest a lot in the secondary in the draft coming up this offseason, maybe even in free agency too, if there's some money to play with. Uh, I hope Corey Ballantyne gets a shot because he's, he showed that, hey, you know, if, if my number's called upon, I could deliver. Uh, another guy who I thought played pretty well when he got his time in the sun was, uh, rookie corner Carrington Ballantyne playing every single game this year, 44 total tackles, nine pass deflections, rookie seventh round pick out of Kentucky. And Gil, I think he played very well for a rookie seventh rounder. And this guy acted like he wasn't a seventh round rookie. Yeah, no, he, he really did look very, very good. And I, I really liked the fact that he just stepped up when injuries hit and when trades were made and he didn't miss a beat. Yeah. Uh, I, I would give a, a B plus to, uh, to Carrington Valentine considering again where he started the season and where he ended up. He still has a lot to learn. He, he's a little too physical at times, gets called for those pass interferences, but I think as he gains experience, he'll learn you know, what he can get away with and what he can't get away with. But in coverage, he showed a lot of promise, and I really like this kid. And, and I, I was debating to give him a B-plus or a B. I settled on B because he does have to learn a little, and that's going to come with time. He's got to learn to harness that aggression a little more. But uh, I think that grade's going to go higher if Jeff Halfley's scheme, if he does have his corner corners play a lot more press man coverage, because I feel like Carrington Valentine's going to thrive in that. This guy did not seem anything like a seventh-round rookie, though. He He did not. He just seemed like a veteran out there, the way he carried himself, the way he, the way he played, the way he moved. This guy seems well, way beyond, way beyond being a, a seventh round rookie draft pick, Gil. He was, he was awesome. I, I was really, really impressed with Carrington Valentine. He, he is going to be a find and I am very enthusiastic about his potential future. Next up, we have quarterback Keyshawn Nixon. He played in every single game this year. First team all pro kick returner for the second consecutive year for the Packers. Defensively, 80 total tackles, had half a sack, six pass deflections, and an interception. Uh, Gil, what is your grade on Keyshawn Nixon? I thought he was impressive this year. Well, if I'm grading him just on his work as the, the, uh, slot corner, he wasn't necessarily great. He got better as the season went on. His, you know, play as a return specialist, that, you know, he was all pro for the second straight year. But if I'm just focusing on him in the secondary, I, I go with a C plus. I, I think he gave up a lot of, uh, passes. The completion percentage by opposing quarterbacks was very high. He was pretty good at, at, uh, not allowing big gains, but the completions were usually there. Uh, like I said, first half of the season, it was a real problem. He got a little better in the second half. But if I'm uh, looking at building a defense, that's a position I might be looking to upgrade. Yeah, and that's for sure. And I feel like his home is really as a kick returner. But he showed, man, the thing is where I think I put him at a B minus because he did get better as the year went on. He was someone you could rely on in that secondary. This dude's physical. He is not afraid to hit. He made some big plays against the run. And, and like, he's not afraid to tackle. That's That's something where I feel like, it was like what we talked about after the Thanksgiving win over the Lions where uh, that tweet I referred to where it said the Packers defense of secondary, they may not be the most talented bunch, but they hate you and everything you stand for. And Keyshawn <laughs> Nixon is is right there with that group where it's just a, just a physically imposing. He's not the biggest guy, but, man, he's not afraid to, to lay a lick on someone. And 
that to me, I, I think it's a B minus. I really hope he does come back. Uh, he's a, he's a free agent after this, after the season, but I gotta think the Packers are gonna try to get a deal done with him. I think so too. And Eric Stokes, he, uh, former first round pick, battled back from being ankle injuries for 2022, battled hamstring injuries throughout, uh, the 2023 season, only had six total tackles. He played sparingly in three games. Uh, Gil, what is your grade for Eric Stokes this year? It's gotta be incomplete. I, I can't see giving him a grade based on, I mean, what, one of the three games he played in, he had four special team snaps. I mean, yeah. this, it, 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 there just wasn't a big enough sample size. I give Eric Stokes, <coughs> excuse me, credit for working hard to try to come back after what were two very serious injuries. Uh, just a shame that he, you know, plays four special team snaps, gets hurt, hurt again. Works his way back, plays again, gets hurt again. Uh, I think his career is at a crossroads now, and I think 2024 will be vital as to determining his long-term future, whether he ends up being a disappointment as a first-round pick or someone who lives up to that billing. It's a bummer because his, his rookie year, man, he looked like he belonged. He really did. And injuries, that's football man that that that's what happens and Eric Stokes I feel like the talent there but his injury luck has been absolutely awful and, and a telling side of what the Packers think too where coming up soon where he he was a first round pick the Packers are going to have to decide whether or not they're going to pick up his fifth year option my guess is they're not going to because they're concerned about his long-term health I'm with you on that uh I do I, I think the timing of the new defensive coordinator is going to be super helpful as well with Jeff Halfley coming in where Eric Stokes could really showcase his skill set as a press man cover corner. And if he could ball out as a press man cover corner, he's going to have a job in Green Bay for a while. Uh, my grade, though, as well, incomplete. You, you can't grade the guy off of, you know, playing sparingly in three games. Uh, last but not least, but maybe least, who knows, uh, Jair Alexander. He played in seven regular season games this year. Highest paid corner in football, battled shoulder and back issues throughout the season. He was suspended one game by the team for conduct detrimental, had 27 total tackles, five pass deflections, a forced fumble. He had an interception in the wild card round win at Dallas, but overall really underachieved this year for what we're used to seeing and accustomed to seeing from him, Gil. Yeah, I mean, this was not a good season for Jair. Obviously, injuries played a role in his poor numbers. Uh, but when you talk about expectations, I mean, here's a, like you said, highest paid corner in the league, yep. four, a two-time Pro Bowl player, uh, first round draft pick. To me, the expectations were really, really high. I, I got to go with a C minus, uh, on Jair just because of those expectations. Um, hopefully the suspension is a turning point for him yeah. and that the new defensive coordinator is giving him an opportunity. I got the feeling, and there was never hard evidence to back it up, but just whispers sort of in the background, that part of the problem was that Jair Alexander did not have confidence in the scheme this defense was running. Whether that's true or not, he gets to start over with a new defensive coordinator. Expectations for 2024 go back to sky high, but 2023 was not a good year for Jair. And, and I... You were a little more generous with your grading of Jair. I gave him a D plus, a D plus for the year. D as in Donna. I gave him a D plus. <laughs> and, and Brian Gutekinds, he spoke to the media on Thursday, the Packers general manager. Uh, there's a, there's an Instagram post by Jerry after the year. It seemed like a goodbye, but, uh, 
Brian Gutekinds made it very adamant that they are not looking to trade. Oh, there goes my microphone. Uh, not looking to trade Jair Alexander at all after the year. It have huge cap ramifications. It oh. just doesn't make sense. And, and I feel like a new defensive coordinator, he needs a fresh start. Uh, Gutekinds also alluded to that suspension where after that suspension, he came back, he was locked in. He was a lot better from that point on. And I think that's going to be a turning point. I, I hope it is because he was better after the suspension, but overall, uh, injuries aside, he just, he wasn't very good before that. And I think he was really frustrated with Joe Barry's scheme. Uh, Jeff Halfley now, you know, being the defensive coordinator, he's going to play a lot more press man as, as we're being told, as we, as we've observed from his time at Boston College and Ohio State. And that may fit Jair's Alexander's skill set a little better. Yeah. Jeff, Jair, Jair, Jeff. Let's see how that one works out. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, coming up though this weekend, uh, we have the Pro Bowl. Uh, Kenny Clark, he's going to the Pro Bowl in Orlando. It's not really much of a game. It's more of an event more than anything. Uh, he's taking the place of San Francisco 49ers defensive tackle Javon Hargrave, who's playing at the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. Clark this year had 44 total tackles, a career high seven and a half sacks, forced a couple fumbles and three pass deflections. Uh, Gill though, he's the only guy going to the Pro Bowl, uh, a meaning, really, really meaningless, but still, we're going to talk about it. Uh, which Packers do you feel like got robbed of going to the Pro Bowl this year? I got to start with Jordan Love. I mean, I, I think he really, especially based on the way he finished the year, certainly had the credentials, and, and when certain players dropped out, why they didn't turn to Love as the next man up uh, is sort of beyond me, although, you know, part of me would rather him not go and not risk even getting hurt goofing around at the Pro Bowl activities that go on uh, over can there. They even, can they even touch the quarterback, though? I mean, I, I don't know. But I, I, I haven't watched the Pro Bowl in five years. I, it's really a lame duck event, in my opinion. It, it is. It is. It doesn't matter who wins. And uh, it's, it's you know, it, I'll watch five minutes of it just to say, okay, there it is. That's nice. You know? Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that, that's more or less where it is. Um, other than that, I mean, I can't say there were, you know, maybe Zach Tom would be another player who I would give some consideration to, but, uh, that, that would be more or less it. And maybe, uh, Keyshawn Nixon. Yeah. Keyshawn Nixon as a kick returner, that, that was possibly someone who could have gone, but Rashid Shaheed got that nod, which I'm okay with. He was, yeah, I'm he, okay was with he, he was, he was pretty cool. He was pretty good. Uh, Man, my microphone just will not stay up. Uh, Zach Tom, the right tackle, you mentioned him. He was the best Packers offensive lineman this year. He was outstanding, and I think he's one of the better tackles in football this year. But you look at the guys who made it ahead of him. Trent Williams, Lane Johnson, Panay Sewell, uh, Tristan Wirfs is going in place of uh, Trent Williams. Those are all very good offensive tackles. I, don't have a, I think that's a numbers game at that point. Zach Tom, just getting in, it just, he's, you know, these guys have a little more experience, and they're very good players as well. Rashad Gary was someone I thought should have gotten consideration, especially because Demarcus Lawrence replaced Nick Bosa on the roster. Lawrence only had four sacks this year. That's a name recognition. Uh, that's a name recognition thing. But with Rashad Gary, though, I don't know if he was regarded as an outside linebacker or a defensive end because Demarcus Lawrence was regarded as a defensive end. And if Rashad Gary was regarded as an outside linebacker, the guys who got in were Micah Parsons, Daniil Hunter, and Hassan Reddick, all guys who statistically were much better than Rashad Gary this year. Uh, Jordan Love, that was the big issue I had. How does this guy not get in? He completed 64% of his passes this year, threw for more than 4,100 yards, 32 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 96.1 QB rating, and four rushing touchdowns. 
the guys who are going in place of the guys who originally were selected, the guys who originally selected were Brock Purdy, who's going to be in the Super Bowl, Dak Prescott, who had an MVP caliber season, and Matthew Stafford, very well-respected, very talented quarterback for the Rams. Jalen Hurts got in over him. Jalen Hurts yeah. was no. not good this year. He threw 15 no. interceptions, had an 89 rating. Baker Mayfield, nice story. Jordan Love was still better than him, in my opinion. Geno Smith, a nice story as well, but still. Jordan Love was better than him, too. I don't know how you could say that Jordan Love is not better than any of these guys. And who knows? Maybe Jordan Love denied the Pro Bowl request, but I don't know how he doesn't get in over Geno Smith, Baker Mayfield, and Jalen Hurts. Well, the, the one thing is that, you know, those, at least with Baker Mayfield, he was able to do some magical things against the Packers' defense. So, Yeah, that and that, that that's a big thing too, and it's all about name recognition at that point. Where I think that a Baker Mayfield, a Geno Smith, a Jalen Hurts has a lot more buzz yep. than a Jordan Love, and Jalen Hurts was a finalist for MVP last year. So, yep, that's just the way the Pro Bowl goes. But hey, that's 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 extra money Jordan Love could have had in his pocket. That's where it's like I'm on the side of the player at that point. Uh, you know, before we get to some trivia, what articles do you have uh, coming up online for Packers Post and Cheesehead TV? I assume a lot of stuff regarding Jeff Halfley and the Packers defense coming up. Yeah, well, I had uh, today for the Packers post 10 things you may not know about Jeff Hapley. So oh, uh, all right. delving into his background a little bit, his philosophy, uh, some of the history, pulled that uh, quote about tackling from that article, among other things. And uh, for what she said, I took a look at Anders Carlson and whether or not he is the long-term answer for the Packers at kicker. One year into his career, we still don't necessarily have a clear-cut answer about that. There will definitely be competition for Anders Carlson coming up in training camp, which there should be. So Absolutely. I'm looking forward to reading that, Gil. But you, you ready for some trivia? I am ready for some trivia. Well, of course, we noted in this episode newly hired defensive coordinator Jeff Halfley, previously coached Packers linebacker Isaiah McDuffie at Boston College. Uh, Halfley's time at BC did not coincide with Packers running back A.J. Dillon, but he does have one additional prior tie to one current Packer player on the roster. Gil, which current Packer does Halfley have a prior connection to? And if you need a hint, let me know. Which current player does he have a connection to? As in, he coached him? Uh, he was on the coaching staff when the pl- uh, player was on the team that he was on the coaching staff for. So under the same umbrella, the player, the Packer for the Packers that he has a connection to is an offensive player. Bo Melton. It is not Bo Melton. Good guess. That uh, Bo Melton went to Rutgers. Great yes. guess. But it's actually center Josh Myers. Ah, Myers was a State. former second-round pick out of Ohio State. Yep, he was with the Buckeyes during Halfley's loan season in Columbus in 2019. Myers was second-team All-Big Ten in 2019 as the team's starting center, and we'll just credit that to Jeff Halfley. <laughs> <laughs> even though even though it does make sense, but we'll just credit Jeff Halfley. Why not? <laughs> So, yeah, I stumped you this time, Gil. May, uh, you'll, you'll get the next one, though. All right. Well, good job. Very good job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, that's it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter at Gil Packers and at GB Packers Sean to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions. Or you can email us at gbpackershawn at gmail.com. Make, you, make sure you subscribe to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And a big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show. And, of course, thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go!